Vodka. 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 Vodka O'Clock. Hello and welcome to another episode of Vodka O'Clock. I'm your host, Amber Love from AmberUnmasked.com. Today, my guest and I will be talking um, openly and um, not graphically, but very openly about the treatment of women in pop culture networks and what it's like to be a public figure who has faced damaging gender-based attacks and why public figures like writers are defensive over the abilities to rebrand themselves with new names, you know, and when we're facing things like Google Plus and Facebook trying to remove your choice of identity. So uh, if frank discussions about sex-based crimes disturb you, you may want to skip this episode and look up pictures of kittens. Um, but, uh, you know, that's what we're going to be talking about today. And you can welcome uh, my guest, Christine Rose. Thanks for joining me. Well, thank you very much for having me, Amber. Um, so, you know, I'm just I'm really glad that you're able to speak openly about the, the troubled history that you have um, in subculture, because it really does. I believe in my heart, it helps other victims of harassment and assault come forward. I know that's personally because when one of my friends became very open about her uh, rape issues uh, suddenly, then I was, I felt much easier to to talk about my, my own Mm -hmm. past because I had just buried it for 20 years. Mm -hmm. I I knew. Mm -hmm. So um, I had discovered you because of your, your old blog where you talked openly about being a rape survivor and an advocate for safety policies. So, since this year, we're uh, 2014, and this year we've seen women threatened over criticizing comic books, reporting on video games, and then we've seen uh, big-name celebrities get attacked simply for existing and having their photos stolen. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yes, and I think it's really important to point out that this year we're seeing coverage of those things. Uh, it has been prevalent for, <laughs> oh my goodness, Going on. Yeah, and what I'm really happy about now is that we're actually seeing coverage. You know, that people are talking about it. Um, the, the the media is picking it up. You know, people are blogging about it. People are speaking more openly about it and saying, you know what, this has got to stop. And we are not going to be silent about it anymore. And, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, hackers are, are their own uh, anarchy community in, in kind of a way. But, you know, sometimes they can save the day, like in the Steubenville. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for the Steubenville rape case, um, you know, if your listeners aren't familiar, I really, you know, encourage you to look that up. Um, The thing with Steubenville was that America reacted as if it was an anomaly. They reacted as like, oh, my God, this, how could this happen? And this poor girl and all those poor boys or, you know, whatever site you were on. Um, but what they fail to recognize is that happens every single weekend at countless high schools across the country and colleges and, and, and other communities. What the difference, the difference with Steubenville was, was the anonymous um, uh, anarchist group, anonymous, picked up the story because it was months after this happened. It was, it was when the, the football coach was already burying it. The town was burying it. There was like one woman who was keeping it alive and someone in um, anonymous picked it up and leaked it. And that's why anyone heard of that was because it was leaked, not because it was an anomaly, because that one was leaked. Right. Because there was, um, you know, there's a lot of different issues that come out with a subject like this. Um, first of all, it was the the protection of athletes oh. and how revered, revered they are. And then, which, you know, we've been seeing in the NFL ridiculously this year. Mm-hmm. 
and um, but also racial issues mm-hmm. because it's um, just in the past week and a half, um, two young girls from Florida who happened to be black girls were horribly murdered. Oh my god! And they were strippers. Mm-hmm. So it got some coverage from the the more fringe websites like Jezebel. Mm-hmm. But it's not the sort of thing that you're going to see on Good Morning America where no. you saw coverage for Steubenville. No, you know? no, it's not. No, it's not. And and one of the reasons that is, I know when I was doing a lot of research into rape culture um, and into community response, uh, you know, and cultural response to sexual violence, um, I came across um, an article of it wasn't it wasn't Lorena Bobbitt, who is, of course, the one whose name is now synonymous with um, with, you know, for what she did to her husband uh, and cutting his penis off um, it was like 20, 25 years ago or something. Now, what is forgotten, of course, about Lorena Bobbitt's case is that he raped her first. And that's why she re- retaliated in that way. Of course, it's really a, a horrific way, you know, to um, retaliate. But what is forgotten is that he assaulted her first. Um, anyway, so I, I came across this this uh, article about another woman who had done the same thing, um, had cut her husband's penis off. And it was covered by every news organization, you know, across the, it, certainly locally, you know, it was in Southern California, but also across the country um, about what a horrific crime this was. And of course it is, it is a horrific crime. However, uh, something like, 800 women are raped every single day in the United States. And what really got me so much about this article about the woman who cut uh, her husband's penis off is that the, the leading detective was talking about how gruesome it was and how awful it was and how he had only seen one other case. He could only remember one other case, meaning Lorena Bobbitt, in his lifetime. So we are talking about two in the past 25 years, when, you know, this kind of horrific level of sexual violence was taken, was per- perpetuated by a woman against a man in this way. Um, and what you don't see is the 800 women that are raped every single day in this country. And it's because it's not news. It happens so much. And it is so extremely commonplace that it is not news. And that's what um, a lot of the discussion is surrounding uh, verbal harassment or even physical mm-hmm. harassment, like the cat calling and mm-hmm. yeah, street mm-hmm. harassment. Mm-hmm. The, um, Sam Pepper YouTube channel. I don't know if I'm you heard that. It literally just happened in the past few days. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently he's a figure who has been on YouTube for quite a while and harasses women mm-hmm. uh, physically and verbally and then says it's a social experiment to show you what happened. Oh, I see. Yeah, I think I did. I've heard about if it wasn't him, it was a real similar YouTube channel. But but go on. Yeah, I mean, it's also then the right people um, became aware of it. You know, uh, people like uh, Lacey Green and Will Wheaton. And once you start getting recognition by the people who are prominent on the Internet, mm-hmm. then it there's more awareness about it. And now his network has um, kicked him off. I mean, he's gotten kicked off YouTube, but he was, you know, apparently like part of a larger uh, network. Well, and that's what needs to start happening. There need to be social consequences for this type of behavior. 
Right. And it's just, but it's one of those things where, you know, it's so common and, and some of the problem is, is people go, oh, but, but look how she's laughing when he grabs her ass. Mm-hmm. It's like, do you not understand the mm-hmm. difference between nervous and uncomfortable mm-hmm. smiling and laughter? Mm-hmm. It, it's there. And some people don't understand that. That's not non- enjoying it. Or even if, even if she thinks she's enjoying it, she's been socialized for decades. Yeah. To just brush it off and say, oh, this is just what happens. I remember when I told my mother about uh, a professor who uh, sexually assaulted me when I was 20 years old. He was 45. And he would corner me in his office and he would tell me things like, oh, I, you know, every time I look at you in class, uh, you know, I really want to F you and, uh, you know, things like this. Um, and, you know, and he would make me touch him. I was 20, you know, I was 20 years old. And, uh, when I told her that, you know, this had happened to me several years later, she goes, yes, well, you know, of course you're a woman. That's just what happens. And it's just one of these things that is accepted as a part of being a woman because no one, you know, cause it's like, well, it's just the way it is. So, you know, be thankful he didn't rape you or be thankful he didn't whatever, you know, or be thankful that it wasn't worse. You know, and it was the same thing when I was, um, I remember it was something similar when I was, when a doctor was sexually harassing his pa- his patients. And what's funny about, what's funny, not like ha-ha funny, certainly, but what's interesting about a lot of these cases is that it's, it is so socially acceptable that a lot of women don't even realize that they've been harassed or assaulted when it would fit the legal definition of being these things. I mean, I was reading some statistics not too long ago where it's something like 20, only 28% of women whose incidents meet the legal definition of rape consider themselves rape victims because they have been so socialized to, and of course everyone around them, including the police, continuously minimize sexual assault. Uh, and sexual harassment that they just they just have to blow it off or just cope or just whatever, unless it is like the most brutal form of stereotypical rape, then, right. you know, That's what you just minimize it, you dismiss it. And so does everyone around you. They expect it to be a stranger in an alley. Exactly. With some with some sort of weapon jumping out of bushes or, you know, and this is like the very narrow definition right. of rape. But, yeah, I went through um, recently with a friend of mine who it was um, right as uh, she had one relationship ending, she went on a date with somebody and then it was before her next stable relationship began. And she went on this one date and we couldn't figure out why she was, her, her internet posts were suddenly so strange Mm -hmm. and what was wrong and was it just the breakup? And, you know, suddenly then she texted me and she said, I have to ask you something. And I went, okay. And she explains in detail how she went on the date with this guy, how he was friendly to her before, like she would have thought of him as a friend. And after saying no to him so many times, she basically just like gave up mm-hmm. saying no. And she's like, I don't, she's like, is this, was this wrong? Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, yes. yes it was coercive wrong. rape. Sure. It's coercive rape. And I'm like, you, you said no. You said no more than one. Mm-hmm. He, he's clearly an asshole. Yeah. Well, and a rapist. Yeah. And a rapist. Yeah. He's a criminal. He is now. Yeah. I mean, you know, he. It's. I said, but these are the sorts of things that are are, yeah. are not reported. Well, especially so especially when- because especially when it's coercive rape like that, 
And yeah. the woman says, or the person, of course, it's not always a woman, the person says no. And they say, not, I mean, once is enough. But if they repeatedly say no over several hours or ever, you know, and that there is, uh, you know, when, whenever you hear the word force, generally you think of overwhelming, brutal force. But force is struggling. Force is someone who's trying to take your shirt off and you're trying to hold it down. And they are overpowering you to get it off. And you, you know. So when you're not even. Force, you know, that's it's clearly that you don't want them to do this. They are struggling against you to do it anyway. That is force. You know, and that's yeah. stuck in people's heads. That's yeah. the only valid. I'm sorry. I said that's what's stuck in people's head as being the only valid definition. <laughs> when, you know, if you know, in cases of being unconscious, right. you're oh, not fighting back. You're not saying no because you're not saying anything. Well, you're not saying anything because you're you're incapable of consent because you're unconscious. Or if you're too inebriated, you're incapable of consent. You know, and so that that's what you know. A lot of people will. I, I find. There's rape, what, what is commonly known as rape apologists, which will, pe- people who make excuses for rapists, like, like if you take your friend's example, because that's actually extremely similar that what happened to me with, uh, with the steampunk musician who I speak about um, pretty openly uh, on both um, the Order of the White Feather uh, blog, which is wearwhitefeather.wordpress.com, as well as um, my former pen name I used to write under O.M. Gray in the steampunk community, um, which is when all this happened. And that's omgray.wordpress.com. I write a lot about the steampunk musician, and that's what happened with him. I have a post called No Means No, and I said no and no and no for hours for five hours, I mean, I'd struggle with him every at every step of the way. I tried to physically leave the room twice, and he physically blocked me from leaving the room twice. Okay, this was like after I didn't even want to go back to his hotel room. I told the you know the the um, the uh, the cab driver to take me to the station, and he said, "Absolutely not, take us here." Um, you know, and it was like you know, and I liked this guy. I liked him. He was a colleague. I really you know I fancied him. I was, um, but I didn't want to do this for for several reasons, you know, um, ethically being one of them, because he, you know, has a, a partner and a children. And I'm like, look, this is not okay. You know, and I'm married too. I have a husband, but we were in a, um, a polyamorous relate. We were in an open relationship and I'd already cleared it with him. But as soon as I found out that this person was, uh, was not free, I'm like, this can't happen. Um, but he, he just kept going and kept going and kept going. And he'd say, you know, we don't have to do anything you don't have to do. It's just, you know, just whatever. And, and of course we don't have to do anything. I don't, I don't want to do, even though I don't want to do any of it. And he's continuously pushing and continuously forcing and continuously um, struggling with me and uh, you know, emotionally manipulating me, et cetera. And I said, no, I can't tell you how many times I said no that night and tried to physically leave and so forth. Um, and people don't look at that as rape, but that's exactly what it is. Right. No. Uh, yeah. And and because it happens so often, this kind of coercive thing, then then it's always the the person who's saying no that's blamed. It's well, you didn't say no forcefully enough, or you didn't say you know, or you didn't struggle enough, or you didn't fight back enough, or whatever. It's not enough. And what I always so, find, I'm sorry, okay. I keep running over you. Oh, that's okay. Um, it's always it always seems to be um, up to the victim. Yeah be defensive to, 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 to be defensive enough but not too much of, of, oh you should take self-defense no but, i should yeah, or not I, or not even because i've seen the other things it's like when a woman is brutally raped and she comes out of it with broken bones and bloodied face and black and blue and so forth and so on what do they what do people say to her 
they'll say that she asked for it. They'll say that she asked. They said, well, you shouldn't have struggled so much. You shouldn't have fought back so hard. You wouldn't have been so hurt. Or, yeah, what was the, the politician's quote? Oh, it was, it was oh, the just... rain. Rape is like uh, a good rain. Yeah, it was back in the 80s. Rape is like a good rain. You know, it's, it's inevitable. So just lay back and enjoy it. it. The one that said, let it happen. Yeah, lay back and enjoy it. Oh, yeah. It's inevitable. Yeah. Lay back and enjoy it. Just let it happen and then you'll be done. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's God's will. That was the other, you know, it's God's will, obviously. Oh, God's will bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, so it's like rape targets, rape victims, rape survivors are seriously damned if they do and damned if they don't. If they don't fight back strongly enough, then they're blamed for not fighting back strong, for not being clear because, oh, well, maybe he was confused. Well, I don't know what no means in your language. Especially <laughs> hours of no's and hours of struggles, meaning your language, but I think it means no, you know, let alone just silence, which is also not consent. Silence is not consent. You know, right. it has to be enthusiastically. Yes. I mean, and you don't have to. I remember the, you know, back when um, PC was kind of coming into vogue in the mid 90s, Saturday Night Live had this fairly offensive uh, skit where. You know, there was a man and a woman together, like in a bedroom or a dorm room or something, you know, and at every stage he was like, may I put my right hand on your left breast? You know, and she would have to give him the affirmative consent before he could do that or it would be considered, quote, sexual assault or whatever, Um, which is, of course, absurd. You can tell if your partner is into it or not. You can tell, I mean, if you're being, if you're not treating them like a sexual object or an ejaculatory tool, you can tell if they are engaged in the encounter. If they are right. meeting you or if they are pushing you away, if they are pulling you towards them or they are pushing you away, if they are saying no or just not saying anything or they're saying, oh, hell yes, baby, let's do this. You know, it doesn't have to be yes at every stage. The language and the nonverbal cues are why it's really hard when things are put down in either presented like on TV shows or in writing these uh, really stupid, horrific pickup artists. Oh. Because there was a TV show for a, a couple years, and then, I mean, there's countless books about it, and one of them had gotten funded through Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And Kickstarter. I, I remember that one, yeah. No longer allows that, yeah. but, um, and part of that is the language. Mm-hmm. Like, the, the guy defended himself saying, um, oh, you're just reading that one mm-hmm. sentence out of context, mm-hmm. whereas... At the beginning of the chapter, I said, okay, if things are going according to plan mm-hmm. and she's on board, now proceed to this. But it's, it's a difficult thing to say, okay, well, you have the you know, freedom of speech to write that down because, you know, whatever, do what you want to do. But it's an educational tool. That means other men are picking this up. Mm-hmm. And thinking that his instructions are acceptable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, absolutely. And and I'm glad that you brought up freedom of speech because we're gonna I'm gonna talk a bit about freedom of speech and I'm gonna talk a bit about um, innocent until proven guilty because these are two things that are really thrown out quite often in this discussion, especially when you're talking you know cultural and and community responses of how they uh, how communities respond to an accusation or information regarding a sexual, um, an incident of sexual violence, whether that it be harassment, assault, or rape. And, uh, and everyone is like, well, innocent until proven guilty, you know, I mean, what can we do? And what, they, what you have to remember with both, with both freedom of speech, as well as innocent until proven guilty, is this is 
the freedom of speech comes into play when you are not going to be arrested for something you say. Doesn't mean you're not going to have social consequences for something you say. It doesn't mean that you can say whatever you want and people are going to still want to be your friend and still invite you to their parties or still have you as a musical guest at their convention, for example. It means you're not going to be arrested for what you say. That's what freedom of speech is. Right. I think that's really important to clarify because people don't understand why yeah. we want to report them on Facebook and Twitter right. and, you know, and message board systems. And, that, for being and that's really interesting because we can't speak out. We can't name our attackers without facing legal consequences. And so where is our freedom of speech as survivors? Where is our and freedom of speech of being able to say what happened to us and, and name our experience and name our attackers? Right. I mean, there's a whole Internet that you can go to. I mean, now there's, you know, the Reddit and 4chan are like the cesspools of Ugh. humanity. Um, and when they wander their way over to Twitter, it's, you know, they they start the name calling mm -hmm. the, you know, you're, you know, you're a cunt. Mm -hmm. and yeah, well, a lot of the misogynistic yeah, speech rhetoric comes in. My freedom of speech and I'm not violating anything. And it's like, well, you know let's have some someone in charge of this website determine what you're yeah. violating yeah. or not. Yeah. You're not going to be arrested for saying what you're saying, but it doesn't mean I want you in my chat room or I want you in right. my community. And that's where I think that, that, that people in communities have a lot of power. And I know with this, um, this new White House campaign of It's On Us uh, is, is a pretty powerful because it's, it's promoting bystander response, and that's what needs to happen. And certainly it is, the bystanders are not responsible for a sexual uh, predator's actions. The only person responsible for choosing to assault or rape someone is the rapists or the sexual predator, the perpetrator. However, the next person in line, the next people in line for a, a responsibility uh, is the culture surrounding them and is, or, the, or the subculture, the community surrounding them. As long as they turn their heads, as long as they are going to give the benefit of the doubt to the accused, to the perpetrator, and not to the survivor, they are perpetuating rape culture and they are continuing to give the rapist a social license to operate because there is no consequences. Um, there are no consequences for these people. Uh, only 3% of rapists ever see a single day in jail in this country. Only 3%. Their rape is extremely difficult to prove because there's generally only two people in that room. And unless there are significant, unless there's significant physical evidence, which there almost never is because 85% of rapes uh, occur by someone that the victim knows, uh, boyfriend, husband, friend, uh, friend's brother, whatever. Not to mention the 100,000 rape kits that are backlogged. Oh, yes, well, yes. Not, or, or to mention the, the way that the police minimize reports uh, to, to make them not sexual assault because then that helps their numbers because they don't want their – if they know something can't be proven in a court of law, then they're going to minimize it and not even file it as a sexual assault because it's going to make their department look bad for the number of sexual – because it's already so low. And so they minimize them. So what communities have an extreme amount of power here, and I talk about this a lot on the Order of the White Feather page, which is wearawhitefeather.wordpress.com. Uh, and I talk about community response. I talk about how we can just switch one simple thing around. Right now, if someone says 
so-and-so assaulted me. What we do, because we are all reading from a cultural script that tells us to say these things, because this is what we've heard everywhere we turn. Daniel Quinn would call it, uh, Ishmael's author, Daniel Quinn would call it uh, mother culture. Every On every television show, in newspapers, it's what we hear. On the news, it's what we hear our colleagues and our parents and everybody say. Um, we're reading from a cultural script, and we need to turn that cultural script on its head. So when someone says so-and-so assaulted me, right now the benefit of the doubt goes to the perpetrator. And you hear things like, well, you don't want to ruin someone's life, or, oh, she's probably just lying, or she's exaggerating, or or, um, or she was just confused, or, or it's none of my business, or, I mean, my goodness, you know, the excuses, the rape apology goes on and on. And, the one, and, and any questions that are asked are asked to the victim, well, why were you there? Well, maybe did you lead him on? Uh, did you say no? Did you fight back? I mean, the questions are endless to the victim. And what needs to happen is we need to turn those questions around and we need to question the accused. I'm not saying condemn the accused. I'm not saying I'm saying question what happened. It's extremely difficult in cases of uh, of marriage or relationships or for sex workers. Mm-hmm. People don't believe especially. that sex workers can be assaulted. Yes, especially. Yes. Like, uh, it's like what you know exactly yeah exactly now, what I, one of the things um i wanted to to get to was um the fact that you know you were a public figure i was and so i was i i wanted to know what that you know what has this done to your career because it um well it's destroyed you know, my career <laughs> yeah yeah it's I mean, destroyed my career it it um destroyed my life for several years. I'm just now coming out of it. You know, this happened in 2011, 2012. I was lucky to have met you in person at one of the conventions and, you know, and you've said that you, you don't want to go into the convention no, scene. I don't, I don't want to. Yeah. No. But yeah. Because they're, because they're these, because this is in steampunk. So your listeners, you know, can have some, um, some, uh, context. This is in the steampunk community. And I wrote um, for many years under the pen name O.M. Gray, uh, Olivia Gray. As, as I mentioned earlier, my, my blog there is O.M. Gray, that's G-R-E-Y dot WordPress dot com. Um, and the post that you will see at the top now is R.I.P. O.M.G. And it's when I killed off that pen name O.M. Gray and the reasons why I killed off that pen name. Um, and the reasons are quite simple. I mean, I when I came out, uh, O.M. Gray was a um, was a marketing experiment. I write under Christine Rose as well with my husband. I write um, middle grade fantasy. But when I started writing steampunk, I wrote steampunk erotica um, and um, teen romance for a while under O.M. Gray. And I started writing it as a marketing experiment because steampunk was a very uh, interesting genre for me. It was kind of up and coming. I really kind of had this you know sexy story I wanted to tell, and I didn't want to tell it under the same name because you know I had twelve year old fans you know from the other books so i so i created this pen name as an experiment and it was a very successful experiment i mean i with that summer i was an amazon bestseller gothic romance bestseller um i've won several awards as om gray several um reader's choice awards i've read you know uh i've had i've run awards for my poetry for the short fiction for the novels you know etc and um when this happened with this steampunk musician who is a, a very popular steampunk musician uh in in 2011 it really kind of um started to halt that uh, i mean it, it 
it cut uh, the rise in, in, of my career. I mean, it stunted, you know, the growth because uh, after all that went down, you know, everywhere I turn, people are talking about this musician and he's being uh, celebrated, you know, at convention after convention uh, and celebrated with guest of honor status. Um, and, you know, no one, I mean, I started speaking out about it and I started like writing to conventions um, and, and there were people like uh, I had a handful of supporters, like who, who really made a big difference. One of them, a wonderful, wonderful woman uh, made a big difference. And she wrote to the Alliance of steampunk conventions, speaking about, um, you know, this individual uh, who, who would uh, sexually assault me really, you know, it, it was uh, technically rape, technically digital and oral rape. Uh, was, uh, you know, about this because there had been at least one other complaint about this person. And she had written to the Alliance of Steampunk Conventions and um, four of them wanted more information. And I told them, you know, I was fine to give them more. I'll give them as many details as they want. And four of them wrote to me. And it was um, a Steampunk World's Fair, Wild Wild West, um, SteamCon, and... I'm sorry, the fourth one is like eluding. It may have just been those three. It may have just been those three that wrote to me because I, I can't. It must have been. And um, it was. It was four people and two of them were with the same convention. That's what it was. Uh, so it was Wild Wild West Con, um, Steam Con, which is now defunct. And I'm happy about it for the reasons you're about to hear. And uh, Steampunk World oh. Fair. Yeah. And I wrote to them and I told them exactly what happened because I didn't because, you know, as a as a survivor, as any survivor knows, you're called a liar so very much, you know, or that you're exaggerated or whatever, you know, you're dismissed. I lost, you know, my entire I lost friends. I lost my community. I ended up having to leave the state in which I was living in. And anyways, it's a long story. Um, Give up my job, everything, really, just my entire life. And uh and I wrote to them, I told them exactly what happened because I didn't just say he raped me because what's going to come to mind is stereotypical rape. And I didn't want to be called a liar, you know, if they found out the details. And so I told them everything that happened. I told them detail after detail. I was like, you know, and I'm um, and I'm like, you know, and I understand that, um, you know, this is what's happened and you need to protect the people at your, you know, don't celebrate this rapist. And only one of them. And that was the Steampunk World's Fair, which is why I ended up meeting you there. Um, why I ended up doing that show, because they they came forward and said, we he will not be here ever again. And he was supposed to be here this last year, too. And they canceled him. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm really happy to that because that's always one of my questions whenever I, I do a, a, a pre-show interview with them is, is, you know, talk about their safety. Yeah, staff absolutely. And, yeah. So we worked a lot, worked a lot with Jeff, you know, coming up to that and so forth. And, and I really started to feel like I might actually be able to do this again. You know, if there were people who were going to support me um, here several, you know, three years later, um, that I might actually be able to do this again. Uh, and so it gave me a little bit of hope there for a short time, but it ended up not, not working out. But, um, but the other two, SteamCon and Wild Wild WestCon, um, both of those organizers said, I am so very sorry. We take sexual assault very seriously, but our hands are tied. And yeah, they SteamCon both has a bad reputation. Oh, yeah. From- they both honored him with guest of honor status. So they are not only allowing a rapist at their conventions, but they are honoring him with guest of honor status. And that's the reality of the rape culture in which we live. And this is why, I mean, it ended up, you know, killing my career because I, I can't be at these places where my rapist is 
And right. if they are, you know, and if, if the communities will not say, you know, if they're just going to, if they're just going to, you know, repeat this innocent pro to proven guilty, oh, she's just, she's vindictive and she's out on a personal vendetta and all these other things they've been saying about me, you know, it's like, I don't need these people. It's not like, you know, I mean, my, my career is in the trash. I'd have to restart it, you know, from the beginning anyway, and I'm not going to do it in the same place where my rapist is and where people support my rapist, people who know what he did support. Him. Right. I'm not going to be there anymore. The conventions even had, uh, you know, the the very same accusations against the person who was one of the head organizers, like the president of the the board or something. Uh -huh. And so um, he was yeah, eventually, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that's and he was eventually pushed aside. Oh, Meanwhile, yeah. his wife was like still on the board, yep. so he was still sort of planning on being there. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, like he he wasn't actually going away. It was sort of like. Uh -uh. Um, like it, it took 10 years. Let me give the perspective here. It took 10 years for Edward Kramer to be officially removed from Dragon Con uh -huh. at molesting boys. Yep. And how many people were molested during that time? Because no one said, hey, you know what? We don't want you. Well, I don't care if it's true or not. Yeah. If I someone mean, is coming forward about it, by the way, you know, false accusations, it's a myth that it is common. False accusations are for for sexual violence is less than false accusations for any other crime it's around two percent mm -hmm. people don't make this stuff up it's humiliating yeah why would you want to do that why why would you want very very few very very few people make people stuff up. And, and have people doubt you and have people call yeah, you names because, well, exactly what, I, what have i gained from this i lost my career i lost my community i lost my job this yeah. this is this is what i you know this is the attention that i wanted by coming forward yeah. You know, so it's it's absurd that so the the conventions it's it is very important. It's imperative uh, for them to maintain safe environments. And I, you know, because they're so they're so different. Like the steampunk shows are often smaller scale. They're in hotels. Um, comic book shows are in large convention halls. And you know, hotel has their own staff. Convention centers have a security staff. Then the conventions themselves will have volunteer staff. Mm -hmm. So these mm -hmm. people are not necessarily like, I don't know what their training is. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if they have any training. Um, I, I would hope that they would, but you know, it's probably pretty unlikely. Mm -hmm. um, no, the fact most that can't, of them are fan run. Like, most yeah, of them are volunteers. I mean, yeah. So, you know, New York comic con because San Diego, um, I've never attended San Diego, but San Diego Comic-Con would not um, enhance their policy for safety and harassment because they felt that a, a small, brief statement saying, if you run into a problem, find security. Well, they felt that was enough to say because they didn't want to be specific. So um, the organization read Read Pop runs the New York show and Chicago, a show in Chicago and, and a couple others. Um, they were confronted by women mostly who said, look, you know, San Diego wouldn't do anything. What are you willing to do about your policy? Because they had one, but it was the first time I, I ever heard of this was um, they sought out an independent panel of, I think, seven or eight different people and uh, asked for them to work on the policy for them. 
So they they had all of these women giving their input in between like it's on the Mary Sue dot com to if you want to look up the backstory of the, of it. But now New York Comic Con has a brand new policy. It's not all that long. Is it, and it doesn't have to be. No, it doesn't have to be long. Right. Be long. It doesn't have to say if you are here and if you are drinking this and if you are wearing this. Mm-hmm. It have to say, you know, it, it's uh, it's like a list. Don't do any of these things. Mm-hmm. And you know, this applies to everybody, whether you're a guest, a volunteer, an attendee, you know, a member of the staff. Like it's it is concise and perfectly acceptable. And yet they're the first convention mm-hmm. to put together an independent panel like this. Well, hopefully they're the first of many, because I know other conventions have been um, really kind of ramping up their harassment policies, and they've been getting a lot of flack from um, the people that, you know, that go there, but it's always the same kind of people. The people who have problems with uh, anti-harassment policies are the ones who are doing the harassing. They're the ones who don't, they're the ones who are trying to protect their way of life, their behavior. Uh, You know, you can have um, panels discussion panels at the shows about safety and we can have podcasts like this and we can have news coverage. Um, but the people who need to learn from it are not going to be the ones learning no. from it. No, and <laughs> it's not. And it's not. That's why, you know, I can, I can really get behind some of these, you know, cause I just read an article that was like, okay, it's on us to go beyond it's on us, which is the white house campaign. You know, the hashtag it's on us about bystander response, you know, and the, and there was um, M- Melissa McEwen, who I, highly admire and respect for all of her writings on the subject, um, you know, mentioned saying that, okay, so now we're switching from victim blaming to bystander blaming or to culture blaming. And I can see your point in that. Okay. It's um, there really is no one at fault except the, you know, for the choice made, except the perpetrator. Um, however, I think that by changing our, our knee jerk cultural response by no longer accepting that kind of behavior. We are going to close off huge sections of society where these kinds of people, where rapists, can operate. Um, when you know, we're saying, if they're the ones who are going to be examined, if they're the ones who are going to be questioned for their behavior, then that's going to deter the behavior from, in many of the cases. I mean, I think to this day, it's been three years. I don't think one single person has asked Paul what happened? Tell me what happened. Not one person. They just, they just, he's not, he just keeps pretending that it hasn't happened. You know, not one single person has asked him. And your, your career has taken so many changes because I I know from reading your posts, it was, you know, there were months when you, you weren't even there. You weren't even, I don't even think you posted for quite a while. No, or, all I could do for several years, all I could do was that, was read about rape culture and read about other survivors' experiences and just try to make some sense of what had happened and to process it and to recover from it. I mean, I, I didn't work for two years. I mean, if it wasn't for my husband, I don't know if I'd still be here today. Right. And that's, you know, the PTSD. Is... Oh, the PTSD has been debilitating, yes. Yeah. And, you know, and that's unfortunately another thing that you hear about, you know, the, um, you know, whatever trauma people, people go through because it's a PTSD, you know, encompasses general terms, Mm -hmm. but, you know, 
like that that little girl who was just stabbed by her classmate, mm. mm-hmm. you know, and uh, there's no pressure for her to go back to school, but she misses school. So at least that's something where she's not just turning um, inward mm-hmm. and, and hiding like she's out of the house and she goes and mm-hmm. plays kittens. And, and the reason she's able to do that is because she has community support. Yeah, absolutely. because it was a very physical, very visual attack, you know, where everyone can say, oh, yes, that happened because we can see the wound. We can see the oh, blood proof. And yeah. and yeah. And and the the girls who did it are not denying We're that. Not they den- did okay. It. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, but they but th- I know that as a survivor and I've I've spoken with countless other survivors who say the same thing. The assault was traumatic. The treatment by the person that, you know, you respected and cared for you know, to do that sort of thing and, and then just cast you aside is traumatic. What was as traumatic, if not more so, was the cultural response, was the way the police handled it, was the way your friends, or I use that term very loosely in this case, handled it, the way your community handled it. Um, that was as traumatic, being labeled a liar, being saying that you're vindictive, saying that you were, you know, whatever, that um, you're exaggerating. Oh, it's just a case of love gone kaplooey. You know, I mean, all these things. That you, was that was as if not more damaging. Did you have to um, uh, close off comments and try to, you know, do things to protect your website? Oh, yeah. I started getting very good at deleting people and blocking people, which is something I would never do before because I was a very, very nice person. And I think people who knew me before all of this and people who know me now, I probably seem very different. I probably seem very cold and um, cynical. And I am. I am. Um, Because, you know, who I was before was murdered. Mm -hmm. And you are a different person. Yeah. Yeah, and now, and, and now it's important for you to identify as a different person. So I want to know what that. Yeah, how absolutely. That... I mean, I don't. I don't hesitate. I don't care who they are. I don't care what kind of history we've had, how long we've been friends, if we've known each other for thirty years, if they've been supportive in the past. I don't care. If they start giving me misogynistic, rape culture, victim blaming rhetoric, they're gone in a heartbeat. I just will not put up with it anymore. They're just gone. I, I delete them, you know, I block them from Facebook. Any trolls just don't even have, don't even have a chance. I just don't even give them the chance, you know, to, to comment on things unless I'm going to make an example out of them, which I've done. Um, I've done that too. Yeah. I'll be like, okay, I'll let you prove to the world that you are indeed a dickhead. Yeah, exactly. There's a, there is a recapture it and throw it on Twitter. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what, and I've done that. I've done screen captures. Um, you yeah. know, put it up on where, um, you know, um, the um, order of the white feather, you know, wherewhitefeather.wordpress.com, put it up on there. There's an article on there called Slut Shaming and Victim Blaming because of a comment that I had gotten questioning my um, um, my story and questioning, you know, it's like, well, you know, you seem to whatever, you know, and I pulled it apart piece by piece. And it was, and it was you know, it was a, um, uh, a, it was at least a fan of Elementals, if not him himself writing this because it was from San Diego Comic-Con where he was at that time. Yeah. So there is something, um, you know, and, and I, and I recognize that, you know, I saw the IP address. I saw exactly where it was coming from. I knew, you know, what was going on and I just, and I publicly laid it out and just, and tore their, you know, little victim blaming tirade apart piece by piece. So now as a, as a professional writer, 
And you, I mean, you're already going through your own therapeutic process for, for healing from all of this. Um, when did it occur to you to leave your genre where you were known and where you were, were happy previously and give up your name and, and take a new identity? How, what, like, what was, were they at separate times or was this something I think that... It, yeah, it was a process over the last couple of years, you know. It was, um, you know, at first, because I, I wrote erotica, um, but I can't talk about sex anymore. I can't watch sex. I certainly can't write about it anymore. I can't even have sex anymore. So, um, you know, it kind of is a killer for a romance writer, <laughs> you know, to not yeah. be able to write about romance <laughs> or, or about, about love or about seduction or about sex, you know, because all I can write about, if I write about sex, it's about assault. Mm -hmm. As you'll find out in the sequel to Avalon Revisited, which was my um, which was my award winning um, best selling book, the the you know the um, erotic romance, steampunk erotic romance, uh, the sequel Avalon Revamped um, is what it's about. It's about a succubus who who um, is a champion for violated women, and it's about a serial rapist, and it's about different types of assault and because, because that's all I could write. It was a very cathartic book, actually. It was a very cathartic book to write. It was actually probably the doorway of me kind of becoming functional in society again. I wrote it early 2013. Uh, um, you know, and I wrote a lot about assault and a lot about exploitation and, um, and the way that, you know, the police and the community behaves and so forth and the way that these sociopaths and narcissists and other types of sexual predators can get away, do get away with this thing, you know, these things. Uh, so that was very cathartic, but, um, you know, and I finished up what I had to write, you know, sequels of things that were already out. But then I just found like I didn't, I really had nothing else to say. And then, you know, once when, when the word got out and I was speaking much more openly and identifying the perpetrator in privately to, um, to these steampunk conventions and nothing was changing with the exception of, of, um, anomaly con in, um, in in uh, Denver, they were wonderful, and Steampunk World's Fair, as well as the ones that Mickey Flint um, runs in Florida, um, uh, with the exception of those three, uh, you know, no, oh, I'm sorry, no, I take that back, also um, Aetherfest in um, San Antonio wouldn't have him back either, but except for those four, all the rest of them in the country, they don't care. They don't care enough to say, no, we're not going to have them because they fall onto the well, innocent till proven guilty rhetoric. And and what people don't realize, which I touched upon a little bit before, is that the whole innocent till proven guilty, number one, it is not a constitutional right. It is not in the Constitution anywhere. Number two, that's another way of saying um, it's, it's basically innocent to proven guilty, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt or, you know, due process. You get, you know, you have the right to due process. Innocent until proven guilty only is valid in a court of law. It is not. These are all legal terms. Yeah, it is not valid in, yeah, in society. It is not value, valid at steampunk conventions. <laughs> you know, at parties, you don't have to, you know, hold a, a court hearing with a jury of your peers to decide whether or not to invite someone to your party or to invite someone to your convention. Okay. This is not innocent until proven guilty. We make choices. We make social choices every single day based on much, much less than the kind of information, detailed information that I was giving these people. 
You know, we make social, we, we make decisions. Oh, I want to go here. I don't want to go here. I want to go to this party. I don't, I want to invite this person, but I don't want to invite this person for on for far less information than the kind of information I gave in the detail publicly on my blogs and the detail of that night, as well as um, privately, um, even more so to some of to some of the organizers, you know, and for them to just say, oh, well, you know, our hands are tied. Well, bullshit, your hands are tied. You don't want to lose the money that he brings in. And so if money is more important than the safety of your um of, of your con goers, of the safety of your community, if, if your money is more important than perpetuating rape culture and um, celebrating a known rapist, then I want nothing to do with you. Right. And, and one of the things that seems to happen in the, the stats that are not necessarily um, taken to heart is that the it was it was a particular study where it was men who were interviewed, and as long as they didn't use the word rape, oh, yeah. they admitted that oh, they did yeah. it. They'll, they'll, yeah, it's it's a, and, you know, but it's you can't use the word. You can't use that word. You can't use oh, assault. No, no. You can't use and, yeah, quote rape or quote. But if you define it, the legal definition, if you describe what's happening, they will yeah they'll, they'll they self-report. It was a uh, Lisak study. David Lisak study is the one you're talking about. And it was um, there's an excellent post on a, on a, a blog that has that is one of the reasons also I'm still here today is because of the Yes Means Yes blog. Um, it's Yes Means Yes blog dot wordpress dot com. I highly recommend your readers to read everything Thomas has to say as well as some of the other authors on that site. He is my hero. The, the things that the, the way he articulates things is the first time I heard uh, the phrase um, social license to operate. Uh, I, I heard it from him, and he talks a lot about this. He has this excellent post called Meet the Predators, uh, where he talks about and examines this LESAC study that you were talking about, uh, um, where, yes, they will self-report. You know, if you say, have you ever raped a woman, um, they'll say no. If you say, have you ever um, not taken no for an answer and kept needling and pushing and begging and pleading until she gave in, then many, many people will say yes. And that is indeed coercive rape. And the, the, the men who are not like this, um, but, uh, I do feel bad for them, <laughs> but um, like you said, uh, we don't want to blame bystanders or anything, but there are plenty of, uh, of men who will speak up and the, like the he for she thing. Oh, I love it. I'm, you know, I love it, but at the same time, with um, the girls in Florida that I was just talking about, the um, their last names are Ball and Magnum. Mm-hmm. The the one funeral for Tisha Ball is today. In fact, mm-hmm. um, I have all of those men that I've seen in our literary community posting about he for she and standing up and they're one of us and all of that. None of them have talked about this Florida mm-hmm. case. No. Well, the, see, I think he for she is. I think it's a great idea because I think that the idea behind it is it's number one to start to start dismissing this myth that feminists are men haters, number one, 
Um, you know, cause that's yeah. just ridiculous. I even in class the other day we were talking about, I had him read a piece by Jessica Valenti and, um, one of my students says, does she hate men? And I'm like, no, she does. You know, but it's like one of those myths that the patriarchy, that rape culture has put on feminists because we speak about male sexual violence that somehow we hate men, which is not the case at all. And that's why if we can even, you know, if, yes. and if the world, like, you know, Emma Watson had said, if the word feminist bothers you, then don't yeah, use they it. Yeah, don't use it, yeah. If you really are bothered by the fact that, that people say men mm-hmm. you know, do this, then say misogynist. Yeah, say misogynist, exactly. Say misogynist, yeah. too. And, and, they, they're trained. Mm-hmm. They're trained from birth. Mm-hmm. Oh, they are. Oh, yeah, they are. That these things are allowable. Right, absolutely. Those are cultural distinctions depending on, you know, where where you are. But uh, it's just a matter of how you're raised so um you know misogynist can certainly be female and we have more than one oh, gender my goodness. i'll tell you right now that the most vocal people speaking out against me when i spoke out about my assault the the most vocal cruel people were women not men i'm not surprised no i'm not surprised and, either um yeah i'm not at all surprised no so it's by it's by no means only men in fact but my greatest supporters were men mm-hmm. you know i mean i had a few women supporters um and only if i mean i only had a few supporters period but you know a few women supporters a few men supporters but the ones who publicly spoke out against me were women what, so, the, the the two people in fact those those three um conventions that i told you about uh, right. Uh, the two who were like, oh, yeah, but our hands are tied. Both of those organizers were women. And the and the organizer who was a man at Steampunk World's Fair who's like, OK, we won't have him back. Was it was was the man. The other two were women. That's good. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's it, I, I'm glad that there are conventions that are willing to step up. Yeah. The, yeah. The, uh, hopefully there'll be more in the future, because until until the, until we hold these perpetrators accountable. You know, and all I've all I've ever asked was an admission, and, and I, I've said that he did not. Have, I mean, I you could read a blog post I have on the omgray.wordpress.com about hmm, will I accept an apology? Was um, that he admit what happened? He didn't have to. He doesn't have to use the word rape. He doesn't have to use the word assault. You know, but admit the behavior, admit the treatment, admit the damage apologize to me sincerely, privately, as well as publicly because of how far it had gone, as well as make some kind of attempt at, um, at, at making amends of accountability. That's all I've ever asked. I've not asked him to turn himself into the police. You know, I've not asked him. I've, what, I've, I've asked for accountability is what I've asked for. What's been sticking in my head, though, as we've discussed your case, is that you've you had heard from other people that you're not the only victim. And um, of this certain person, I've heard I've, I know that there's other complaints. I haven't heard any specifics about another sexual assault, but I've heard other complaints of discomfort or um, of poor behavior, poor choices in public. You know, I haven't heard any. So I think it's, it is indicative of, of repetitive behavior. Oh, absolutely. Um, that's why when it comes to conventions and booking people, if, it's, if you're 
the reason that I that I wanted to bring that up in particular was in the, the comic book community. There was a very well-known creator um, who suddenly was getting just dragged through the ringer again for something that happened seven or eight years ago by another creator. And um, she said that he harassed her, you know, no matter how many times she said no, they were alone in a hotel room and he kept promising her that he would help advance her career. Mm, 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 Uh, And she, you know, everybody was wondering, well, why are you talking about this now? If you guys came to terms years ago, because apparently they did and she, whatever was, had, uh, you know, let it go. And she said that the reason that she was talking about it again was because she had begun hearing so many other stories. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's because you have the support and so it's because it, you have the support and because sometimes reporting, like stop booking this guy. Yeah. If you know, you want to get into the, he said, she said argument. That's one thing, but now you're talking about five. She's, you know, right. well, exactly. But you know, and that's uh, the same thing with, is, there's, it takes a while sometimes, especially if it's not stereotypical, brutal stranger rape. It takes a while to process it sometimes and understand what's happening, especially with people who have a history of abuse. She had to ask me. What, you yes, know, exactly. Like, people have to, I had to be told. I told a friend of mine what happened. And they're like, whoa, 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 that's assault. I'm like, what? Yeah. What? In fact, because it wasn't, and the, was the other thing is what people don't understand is that once, once you've been a victim of sexual violence, you are 50% more likely to be a victim a second time. And once you're a victim a second time, you are like 75% more likely to be a victim a third time. Because something, because it is, because it is a traumatic event that affects one's nervous system and the way one processes information just to, just to cope with and deal with the assault. Because even like with the assault with Elemental, even though I didn't, I didn't define it as sexual assault for many months later and didn't define it as rape for a couple of years, and, you know, until I really understood the, the complete spectrum of, of the way rape can manifest, you know. Um, even though the, the events didn't change, the language I used around it changed as my understanding, you know, um, evolved. But, you know, being raised, I mean, I'm about to be 45, okay, so being raised in the 70s and the 80s, where, I mean, think about it, when when you see a little boy tug on a little girl's hair, or push her down, or tease her, or make fun of her, what do you say? Oh, they say boys will be boys. Boys will be boys, or he's just doing that because he likes her. Right. And it's the same kind of thing. You say they're around 12 or 13, you know, and he's making fun of her. He's pushing her around and he's, you know, with his friends or whatever. And everyone's like, oh, well, that's just because he likes you, honey. Don't, you know, or boy. Oh, I'm so sick of the boys will be boys bullshit. But yeah, it's just like this. But then then all of a sudden they're 16 and 17 pushing girls around, pulling their hair, tugging at their dresses. And all of a sudden it's not OK. You've yeah. just told both of them that it's acceptable behavior for the last 15 years. Right. And then the laws don't help. There's um, Massachusetts luckily very quickly changed their law, but Texas allows, yeah, imagine that Texas allows upskirt photos. What? Which is a, Are you serious? I'm serious. That's one of the many reasons I left Texas. Because I, I had been hearing a lot of complaints about the New York subway system with, as women are walking up the stairs, 
um, men are like behind them and taking pictures under their skirts. And apparently they don't consider that assault because you're like you're you've given up your right to expect reasonable privacy. You've given up your right to privacy because you're wearing a skirt. And it's like you're wearing a skirt and you're covered. It's not like you're. But that just that just goes to that just this further proof of the misogynistic society in which we live, as well as the the culture of rape that is is perpetuated by these types of actions. So it really, you know, it varies where, you know, we're all here in the United States and it varies from state to state mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. from school to school and campus to campus. As well, you know. I can see why they wouldn't call it sexual assault if no one is actually touching, you know, assault is generally much more of a physical interaction. But I definitely would consider it sexual harassment or exploitation. Exactly. Yeah. So I it, so it's sad to hear that, like you're saying, that that boys are taught this behavior and they're taught and, you know, the, that it's okay yeah. and that the laws are on their side oh, yeah and well and and as important as as that boys you know are taught from you know that sex is something that they have to pursue and that they have to get and they are not men unless they do you know and all these kind of things women are socialized similarly women are socialized to you know the, to kiss relatives they don't want to kiss right or to hug people when they don't want to hug them. Or if a boy is acting in a certain way, you know, that's just the way it is. Oh, just, you know, boys will be boys or, um, or just, just let it go, sweetie. You know, it's not a big deal. And it's continuously minimized. And if you take just normal social behavior like that, you know, that's minimized, uh, any kind of assault. I mean, when, you know, the, the statistics for sexual assault and rape is, um, it ranges somewhere between one and three to one and six, depending on what, study you're looking at and that's women and men is uh, is really right around one in six uh will be will have uh, suffer some kind of sexual violence in their lifetime and i think both of them are actually higher if you look at the full spectrum of sexual violence because look in junior high if you snap someone's bra or if someone's groping you or grabbing your breast or grabbing your ass that's sexual assault people exactly what that is yeah and you know now uh, hopefully they take those things more seriously. Well, I'm hoping that they are, but you know, that's what I'm saying is if you're, if me, you know, going on 45 here in the eighties, I mean, the, the type of, the type of comments that were made to me on a daily basis, the, the being objectified and sexualized, uh, being um, groped and um, it, from grades, you know, from middle school on. And especially, I mean, like I was telling you before about my professor and the way that, you know, everyone responded to, to the way people responded to that, the way um, the way boys, you know, it's always like, OK, well, they're going to do whatever and it's up to you to protect your virginity or protect your whatever. You're the gatekeeper, you know, and they're just going to keep trying or keep trying or keep trying. You know, once you're once you're socialized in this way to not even call it for what it is, then the line becomes very blurry indeed when the, the line's not blurry at all. Actually, you know, there's you're either into it and you're consenting or you're not. If you're saying no, whether you're like, no, stop, or no, get off me, those are both no's. Right. Those are both very clearly no's, even if you're not verbally saying it, okay? Even if you're just pushing someone away, if you're pushing their hand away, not helping them lift your shirt up, then that is a no. I think in... It's one of the petition websites, whether it's change.org or, or some other petition website. There's, um, there's one current right now looking for signatures in the UK 
to uh, enhance their sexual education classes to talk about consent and relationships Mm -hmm. because they said, you know, it's one thing to talk mechanically and medically about sex, Mm -hmm. but all genders need to have explained to them what is a healthy interaction. Well, and, and I've read this, I think there was something on the yes means yes blog, but I've read other ones as well. Recent is that the talk about consent doesn't start with sex. You start talking about consent when they're toddlers playing with each other's toys and, you know, taking a toy away from, you know, yeah, you start talking about consent way before, sexualizing it you know way before any any type of sexual behavior comes into play and then it's no longer this huge talk we're okay you know guess what everything we've told you for the last 15 years forget that because now the rules have changed you know it's about personal space it's about establishing and respecting other people's boundaries it's about not forcing someone to do something they don't want to do whether it's sexual or or otherwise yeah i can't imagine um you know, going through those years with the internet. I mean, because I'm I'm oh, about I the same age. Imagine either, no. But you know, like accessible as porn is now to yeah. The the thought of the fact that the first threat for anybody is well, we're gonna you know release your sex tape or your nude photos. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, well, at this point, I can happily say, well, I've already released my own. Yeah, so. I have plenty of naked pictures yeah. on the internet. <laughs> yeah, I'm like just, whatever. Just from Burning <laughs> Man, yeah. <laughs> like, you, can't hurt me that way yeah exactly um, it's like yeah exactly you can't it, it wouldn't hurt if someone said they're gonna release naked pictures of me it's like yeah go ahead <laughs> whatever yeah <laughs> i'm not ashamed of my body you know you're you're the one with the shameful behavior here not me yeah yeah and you know so i feel bad for the women who who aren't yeah. like that well yes because and, and there was a really great article about emma watson you know the whole thing turned out to be a hoax but that's not the that's point okay. the point isn't that it was a hoax the point is that the threat made a difference the threat was meant to shut her up because she's a woman. If it was a right. man, it never would have never been threatened. I've never heard somebody say, no. you know, um, oh, we're going to release Chris Pine's naked pictures. Oh, my right, God. Right, right. A tragedy. It is a way yeah. to keep women silent and, and yeah. in their place. Yeah. I mean, that's so, it, it, it's, just, it's very, very gender-based. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think a lot of people have a hard time grasping. Mm-hmm. Um, Which is exactly what a lot of legal threats are as well. They are designed to silence. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's a bully designed to silence, you know. And, I think, you know, even when it takes a different route and, you know, you criticize a comic book cover and somebody then starts to hack into your bank account. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. Honestly, I mean, art, art is allowed to be judged, mm-hmm. you know. Certainly not by women, it seems. Well, yeah. I don't think so. As you know, yeah, we but, just you know, when you start to look at these kind of things and you realize that men are not treated in the same way or not reacted to, you know, the, the reaction to their behavior is not the same way. That's when you really start to see the underlying misogyny that is so it's like the air we breathe. It's like a fish waking up one day and go, huh, I'm in water. It's so pervasive and all around us that you don't see it unless it directly affects you. Yeah. And and that's, you know, uh, very often cases when it comes to body issues and body rights mm-hmm. is it's it's not their problem. No, and yet they're, they're allowed to dictate, you know, mm-hmm. the 
politicians are allowed to dictate what you do right. and you know it's, these things are not their problem. No, no. It's not they're not it's, it's not their burden well, to no. you know take care of your health care, no. but they're going to tell you what you can do and what you can't. Well, and back to even the you know what we were talking about a moment ago about you know women like your friend asking you was this was this assault you know or people having to tell me I mean because the there was a, there was another incident after the one with elemental um, uh, which was the one that really kind of crippled me. Um, was my boyfriend at the time in Austin uh, who who raped me, and that was really kind of what shattered me completely there. Um, kind of, I, anyways, long story. But um, and the way the community and the way the police behaved—I mean, the same kind of same kind of stuff. But it was after that assault um, that my husband was just like, um, you know, I, I think you might have PTSD because you know my behavior had changed so much, you know, and uh, and. I started going to a therapist and ended up starting going to like a PTSD specialist and told her what happened. And this was like five months after the assault, told her, you know, explained to her what happened. I said, you know, I think it might be borderline assault what he did. And she goes, oh, honey, there's nothing borderline about that. That was rape. And it was the first time anyone put that word to it. And I remember just being rendered speechless. And I'm like, it was it, it was what? no. No, it couldn't. You know, he loved me. It couldn't have been that. And I remember it being a very sobering moment and a very traumatic moment, too, you know, of of really accepting, oh, my God, that's what that was. And then starting to do research on rape and sexual assault and reading other survivor stories and so forth. And it was, you know, I'd already, I'd already called what had happened with elemental sexual assault by that means. But it was about another six or seven months after that when um, – as, as I was recovering, you know, out of the, out of the suicidal ideation after the Austin rapist was stalking me at Burning Man after these kind of things that I'm like, uh, you know, after I had to leave my job and the city, I mean, I haven't really been able to go back to Texas since, because as soon as I land in Texas, the, the, um, the, um, hypervigilance starts and I'm looking over my shoulder everywhere I turn to, you know, wondering if I'm going to see him, uh, just being in the same state, you know, as him. And so, uh, I remember, started going it's like oh my god what happened with him what happened with elemental was also rape it wasn't just sexual assault I mean just (laughs) just but it was also you know it was legally rape and I had um uh, and I reported him I mean I could say his name because it's it's uh it's a matter of public record you know it's on police NYPD has a police report of the assault um in New York with uh with with Paul and um and it's you know, it's, they flew to the other side of the country, even though it was a year and a half. uh, Yeah, it was about a year and a half after the incident. And I told them that over the phone. I'm like, look, I know it's been a year and a half. I know you're not going to be able to prosecute. I know you're not going to be able to do anything, but I want it on record in case someone else comes forward, you know, that there is a record of it. So it it shows, and I did the same thing with the rapist in, 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 um, in Austin, you know, I, I knew they couldn't prosecute. I knew there wasn't enough physical evidence. You know, I knew it was five months later before, you know, I even reported it um, that uh, then they couldn't do anything uh, because it took, you know, it was that long to just kind of work through the trauma to be to think clearly enough and have not one, but eight separate sexual assault professionals say, oh, yeah, that was rape, including a lawyer, you know, including a sexual assault attorney. And said the same thing about, you know, about the, the assault with elemental. And I'm just, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And so it's like first being able to recognize this and being able to recognize it 
soon enough that maybe something can be done about it legally, although that's generally not, seeing as how only 80, 86% never even make it to trial. 86% of reported cases, of course, and only about 40% are reported. So, you know, the, the odds are very, very much against us. But also, those kind of things are going to change once we culturally step up. And that's where things like um, uh, him for her, or he, is it he for her? He, he for she. He for she. He for she. It's like he for she or um, it's on us. Those kind of things are going to help the police, first of all, not dismiss it and cover it up, you know, um, and, and not minimize it, you know, and just put it off as some miscellaneous incident because they can't prove it and they don't want their numbers, you know, to show that they can't, you know, prosecute even the ones, you know, even more than they already show that they can't prosecute, you know, a, a sexual assault. Um, but because the, the definitions are there. I mean, the definition of rape, the legal definition of rape in Texas completely is um, fits into to my experience with with uh, the auctioneer there. Um, and, and also in New York, the first sexual assault and rape in New York is exactly, you know, my my experience with elementals, exactly what happened there. I mean, the, the FBI, don't they use the FBI definition? Now, uh, I think in states. Um, the FBI, yeah, just recently updated rape, which was yeah, it was very, very nice. yes, because it was so my goodness, um, yeah. So it's definitely, but and each state, you could some call some some will not have um, it won't be rape. Everything is just under sexual assault, um, uh, you know. So it'll be like legally called sexual assault. But so every state has it defined like a little differently, but they're fairly similar. I mean, I haven't you know done research on all fifty states and what constitutes a sexual assault or, or rape or sexual violence or you know or or intimate partner violence or anything, you know, but what you find is that uh, once the, once the communities, once your friends and your communities and, you know, the conventions or your church group or your school or the universe, the number of rapes that universities cover up, you know, these kind of things, once that starts to change, then you'll see more prosecutions because you will have the support of the people. You know, right. it was the same. I mean, look back at it like equal rights, right? Look back at equal rights and the end of slavery and the way that, you know, where where um, people of color got their legal rights decades before they were actually really seeing any difference. Right. And it was when when culture started to no longer accept. I mean, not not that racism is gone by any means, but when they no longer would accept racial slurs in in professional places, in communities. I mean, if someone was being outwardly racist, people would be like, that guy's an asshole. We're not going to have him back. Okay. And when people start doing that to those who come out and speak out against sexual violence and or, or they see misogynistic behavior or, or some kind of coercive behavior. They see some guy trying to spike someone's drink or girl trying to spike someone's drink. Or they see someone trying to um, uh, get someone drunk enough to where they're no longer, you know, uh, able to consent. But, you know, so they're more easily, quote, seduced. And boy, do I hate how that word has been euphem what, what that's been a euphemism for for so long. Because it's really killed the word seduction for what it actually means. And... Uh, you know, when that starts to happen, that's when we're going to see more prosecutions. That's when we're going to see less assaults to begin with because we're no longer allowing them. 
in right. our societies. We're no longer, I mean, just the mere mention of it will be enough to go, yeah, you know what? I don't want to take the chance. I don't want to admit our parties. And this is, you know, again, part of that cultural shift is um, people like yourself, you know, well, thank you. Being, being willing to help and talk about it and, um, you know, get involved in the advocacy and the awareness campaigns and all of these things. And, you know, like when you think about epic, really epic cases like the Penn State Sandusky, mm-hmm. I mean, that that man was abusing children for decades. Oh, decades. Oh, yeah. Till oh, yeah. one person. Yeah, and it's you know, always who you don't expect. You know, it's like the ones who, the ones who seem really creepy and really, you know, the ones who are being overtly so, the ones where someone said, oh, so-and-so did something to me and he's like some creepy guy that they'll believe it. It's the, it's the charming, it's the, ones. the charming ones, the funny ones, the, the ones who you would never expect because that's how they continue to get away with it. Right. And so, and, what, I mean, every, I mean, you could even look at like serial killers, like fricking Jeffrey Dahmer, you know, I mean, what did everyone say? Oh my goodness. He seemed like such a nice guy. Oh, he was always so charming. Oh, he was always, you know, that's the way they get away with it. So we have to start believing when people say it. I mean, I'm not saying condemning, I'm not saying ship off to, you know, to prison. I'm saying to start believing when people come forward and they're talking about their experiences to start believing them and start to have that, that, that questioning eye on the accused and not on the survivor. Absolutely. I, I mean, thank you for, for all that you've been willing to speak on. Um, before we wrap up though, I wanted to, you know, get an update from you what is you know what are your plans are you going to continue writing as christine rose are you going to just um try a different career instead what well, i'm teaching again i'm teaching in a community college again which was the job i had to give up when i left austin to get away from um, my rapist there and uh so i finally found another position i'm i'm very happy in the classroom um, i will probably write I may try to write some academic articles. I'll probably be writing more nonfiction. <clears throat> I really don't have a whole lot more to say, I guess, at the at the moment when it comes to fiction or fantasy, because a lot of that was killed for me, was, I guess, raped for me, if you want to put it that way. Um, and it's very difficult for me to concentrate with the PTSD anymore, so it's difficult for me to read fiction. Um, it's difficult for me to read uh, really pretty much anything unless it has to do with um, these topics, you know. Um, in fact, one of the things I've been very excited about when I was just in London this past uh, this past summer, I, I got a reader's card at the British Library, which was wonderful for me, and I was able to read some articles like from um, from the Victorian era and such. And there was a woman um, that I mentioned in Avalon Revisited, and she also plays a part um, in Avalon Revamped, named Mary Jeffries. And Mary Jeffries was um, it was just someone who you know I came across in my research, um, had a, had his broth, had several brothels, you know, in the Victorian era and Arthur in, um, Avalon revisited goes to her chamber of horrors brothel, which was known for a more, to have a more sadomasochistic taste. Um, but through my research, you know, one of the things that were mentioned, um, just briefly mentioned by this woman was that she was part of, um, the, uh, of a underage, uh, sex, white slave trade where she would steal young girls uh, and basically force them into prostitution 
Um, and so I've been become intrigued about this woman and finding out more about her. And while I was there in England, I uncovered some more research around this woman as well as um, Inspector Minahan, who was the one police officer who was going to stand up against her and like this entire ring and lost his career because of it. Um, and I find it very interesting because we're talking about something that happened almost 150 years ago. And the things that were said, the things that were reported in um, the Pall Mall Gazette in, uh, by, by Stead and, um, and in some of the other newspapers there, you know, Stead did a whole, um, William H. Stead did an entire series on, uh, the um, modern Babylon. It was it was a modern Babylon, is what it called uh, the Maidens of Modern Babylon series, where he was uncovering this um, this ring, this pro- this child prostitution ring uh, that Mary Jeffries was was a big part of. Uh, and of course, you know, he ended up in a sting operation to uncover, you know, exactly what was happening. Um, he ended up being charged and put in prison because this is what happens to people who speak out against sexual violence. Uh, because the people who are perpetrating and participating in the sexual violence are generally very powerful uh, and pillars of the community, very charming, you know, these kind of things. And so the people who speak out against them are the ones who are often punished, which is why a lot of people stay quiet. And Stead was punished, and so was Minahan punished. Um, and some of the things that were reported in in the court documents as well as in the um, articles is is exactly what's happening today, almost 150 years later. Nothing has changed. Community responds to sexual violence the exact same way. Community punishes the people who speak out um, in the exact same way as they did 150 years ago. And so I find this very fascinating from a cultural standpoint and also, you know, from a survivor and activist, you know, uh, against sexual violence uh, standpoint. And so it's probably something I'm going to look at a little bit more and maybe write an academic article, um, if not a book, um, on this connection, you know, from this, this woman that I found just through some silly research, you know, during a, a, an erotic vampire steampunk fantasy book. <laughs> so, um, so that's probably where I'm heading next. I'm not going to write under O.M. Gray anymore. I'm not going to probably write any steampunk anymore. Um, if I write fiction, it will, it'll be quite some time. I mean, last year I wrote four, three novels last year alone. And so it's going to be a while, probably before I write anything else. And, um, yeah, I'm just looking. I think I'm just taking a different road. People who haven't found me yet have 11 novels and oh, about 30 short stories they could read before <laughs> they're going to want anything new, you know. And uh, so um, so I've got some time if I continue, you know, if I decide to do that. I certainly encourage any new readers to reach out. I still respond to blogs uh, under the OM Gray blog as well as to the, the wearawhitefeather.wordpress.com blog. I still respond to those. I'm just not going to really be promoting myself as an author under either name, really, um, and certainly not under OM Gray ever again and not under Christine Rose probably for a while. Yeah, it was, um, it, it's one of the things, well, since you've written um, under different names, maybe you know the answer. I was wondering when it comes to systems like Amazon, where you have author profiles, um, and like if I were to type in your name, would it only bring up? Yeah, it would only bring up one of them. 
instead of yeah, uh, unless you like read like my profile or something where it'll say that you know also writes under O M Gray or something. They're not connected. Although I'm thinking of one of these days when I have the energy and the time, I'm thinking of going in and and like putting both authors' names on both works, you know, so it shows up on both author profiles. So I'm wondering, you know, maybe about doing that, but I'm not too terribly concerned about it right now. That part of my life, I think, is pretty much over. It's just been, you know, I, 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 like I said earlier this year with the Steampunk World's Fair, I really thought that there might be a renewal of that part of my life and that I might be able to, um, you know, continue and speak out on these kind of things as well as write under O.M. Gray. But um, after the whole thing with the apology and, and um the the which you could read about on my blog if you want and I'm just like you know what I'm done and anytime I write about Owen Gray I feel like I'm just opening myself up to further attack and further judgment and I feel you know everyone anytime something new happens with Professor Elemental people think that they need to tell me about it and I don't want to hear about it I don't want to hear his name I don't want to see his name I I want to I want to forget he exists if at all possible you know and um, because nothing's going to change and I'm just sick of hearing about it and so I. I've left. Well, I'm really glad to hear that you you went back to, you know, public speaking at least and working in a classroom because it's something that you're talented in Thank and you. it would it would really be such a shame if, it, if any of those people took that from you. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, a lot was taken from me, that's for sure. Um, I am. I thank you very much for for acknowledging that. I do feel pretty confident in public speaking. I am pretty good at it. I'm, I'm not nervous. I've done it so much for so long now. You know, I'm I'm pretty good at at those kind of things. And I do enjoy being in front of a class again, and you know, um, getting them to start thinking about things, you know, in in unique ways and. Um, introducing them to things they may not have been otherwise, yeah. And there may be a time, you know, I mean, if certainly if someone asks me to come speak, I'm not going to turn them down. You know, I'll be happy to come do it, but I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to seek it out anymore, if that makes sense. You know, I'm not going to promote myself in that way. If someone comes across my writing and, you know, or whatever, and, and says, oh, we'd love to have you come speak, I'd, I'd love to. Okay, so you don't have anything scheduled then for for now no no i was going to go to um i was going to be a part of a of a panel at new york comic-con i was invited with um with uh, eileen the peacemaker as well as some others uh who's a wonderful wonderful woman colleague um who invited me wanted to, because she she appreciates my voice and and she's been a supporter you know through all of this and um and i was going to do it and i ended up just between between the financial burden of doing it as well as the emotional burden of preparing for that and, you know, knowing that I'm opening myself up to uh, attacks again, that I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I just don't want to do this anymore. Okay. Yeah, I will. uh, I'll be in and out at New York Comic Con. I'm not, I'm not doing any panels um, actually at the show. I'm doing a a reading with um, a, a great group of people uh, the event is called Queercopia. Awesome. We're going to be some LGBTQ readings um, at the um, Bureau for General Services um, Queer Division. Mm-hmm. So it's outside the con, but it's the Friday night during Comic Con. Mm-hmm. So um, it's uh, should be a very interesting, very new experience for me. So I, I have that going on. And uh, but before that, we have. October 4th and 5th at Comic Fusion in New Jersey is our superhero weekend where 
we auction off comic book art and pages. Um, we do raffles and we have all kinds of fun. Tons of cosplayers are coming and we have artists that are that are coming and that is our two-day benefit for safe and hundred in which is our local domestic violence shelter so um people if you've you know if you have sat and listened to all of this and you want to help stop violence against women then um please help us out with superhero weekend the uh, online bidding has started so you can go to yeah you can go to comic fusion dot com and uh, click on we used to call it Wonder Woman Day so the link still says still on the page still says Wonder Woman Day mm-hmm. so just click on that and you can see all of our pages um, of things that are up for sale and um, we've we've raised around forty seven thousand dollars over seven years so we're on our eighth year excellent how wonderful yeah well and yeah and I'd I'd like to leave your listeners with something as well if if any of you are in an abusive situation, or if you are a survivor of sexual violence, feel free to write to me. You can write to me right through the omgray.wordpress.com blog. I have survivors writing to me all the time, um, looking for support, looking for solidarity. And if you are afraid to come out to anyone else um, and talk about what happened, you can certainly do so safely with me. I will believe you, and I will support you. I've been through it. I know what it's like. Thank you for that for that offer. Sometimes that's Sometimes that's the first step is, you know, speaking some way, in some way, shape or form, communicating. Absolutely. And I encourage all your listeners to, in your communities, when you hear of an instance of sexual violence, believe the person saying it, believe her, believe him, believe that this is happening. And that alone helps heal so much you are contributing to the healing when you believe them when you question them when you interrogate them when you you know that is just further traumatizing that is causing secondary trauma so just believe them and if you have any questions turn to the accused and ask them those questions great advice great well thank you so much christine for you know for all your time and your effort for, for being here. Well, thank you for, for having me, Amber. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. You guys have been uh, listening to Vodka Clock, and if you do so through iTunes or Stitcher, please remember you can give like a thumbs up or some kind of rating there. You can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber and at AmberUnmasked.com. So thank you everybody for listening and go forth and be safe and be good to each other. Cheers. Cheers.